Welcome back to the show. I'm going to go to Gerald Hoover. Uh, Gerald Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job. His My Hero series, and we're going to talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you, in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able able to write a check i mean even if you don't write checks to learn how to to write signature things of that nature the basic things you know kids don't even know their home keys remember when we were kids we had the type mm-hmm. we knew the home key and all that but right now mm-hmm. in this this COVID 19 and we're short on time so i want you to really get into it what are the pluses and minuses on online schooling I, in the beginning my kids were like you know what yeah this is cool we get to do it but now they're getting bored and they want to be around their friends so socially it's different but from an education Education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids who are uh, not only uh, disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things. What's the pluses and minuses of learning online? Well, I'm going to go with more of the, well, I, it ain't the many pluses to me. Uh, um, I think it's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used. You know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean, it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social, uh, if the, the social part of it is part of the the the, the, uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates. Uh, um, uh, I call them teammates with classmates, uh, knowing how to function, as opposed to everything being robotic, pressing a button, and and that's the one thing I fear. LA is that with my with my book, I have a curriculum, and my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's a lot of writing involved. And that's by design because, you know, studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down. Also, you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing as opposed to just touching a button. A button. You use a certain part of the brain when you're reading as opposed to just things being sent to you digitally. And I think that's the where, that's where that's, we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, you know, so it's better nothing, but the, the the minuses are a lot. It's it's a, and like you said, the, the your, your your young men are getting bored. Um, it, it's a lot. And, and then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything's digitized. You know what I mean? So they could be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now all of a sudden you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So so they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn. As opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, he or she's able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something, minuses are a lot. And, and what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner, meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that 
that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID, and you know what I mean. They and, and, themselves might have had it. And who? That's that's a really a great point because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, it, it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation and the climate we are in. And even before uh-huh. this, speak to because I think we had this conversation before about uh, using. You know, I, I'm, I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not mm-hmm. counting, not writing things out like you said. I tell my kids all the time, write it mm-hmm. down, take notes. I, they can go into my studio, my, my, my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only mm-hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some, mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I get, I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you an analogy because I, I know you'll, you'll catch it. Well, I'm going to give you a saying. I'm going to give you an analogy. You know that, that was saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we, so we understand that part. But now, picture a person. That's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand, and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, shape got different, what have you. Then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're going to start off with you running five miles. That person wouldn't. That person wouldn't walk good four blocks. I mean, five blocks really good without him like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our babies' brains because they're not using that part of the brain like you just mentioned. The all you're doing is pressing the button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle because it acts like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, um, conceptualize things, figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff, if you don't use that kind of that part of the brain, when it's time to use it, you can, please. I mean, think about how many people. I guarantee you, at your audience, if you ask them, if you have read a book, in the, if you have, if you ask them if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, and say read the article, I guarantee you they fall asleep before they do it. Because that brain ain't ain't being used, so now you're gonna tell me read all this, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? At, within a certain period of time, that brain is over, it's, it's, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden it starts to shut down because you have to build it, you have to build it back up. And so this is what's happening in LA with too many with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So guess what? It's not done. And my fear, I mean, I'm saying as I'm saying as a my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm not, I'm I'm not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any class, any 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 of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like for for the for the time being, I'm here. You belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so these, these kids don't know how to write cursively, nor can they read it. 
So, so our bodies are a script. They, not, not only can they not read the script, they can't, I mean, they can't write it. So they can't read it. So now you're telling the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, go register to do this, sign this application, go do this, and they say sign your name. He's writing in print. He's or she writing in print. And to be or not, the way they write, they're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you, you tell the kid to write in print on the line, they're writing in between the line. I mean, they're, writing, I mean, they, they're putting their name, like, uh, they're writing across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is, like, scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other other children because other children, they, they, the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write and script. Sure. So now, so education system, it seems, they seem to have put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not, no, 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 when I say fair, because that's a basic requirement, writing. You know what I mean? That, that, should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools on, 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 and, and, and should be progressed in school because L.A., that's how we learn. You know what I mean? Our time tables, we did that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship, you know, writing between the lines, our tracing. Of le- you know what I mean? We did that. We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum. Although I write like a doctor without the money, but I mean, sign. Like hey, no, no, hey, 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 me too. <laughs> hey, hey, here's a funny thing. Me too, and I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands. I'm left hand, right hand. I can do both, and I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that, but at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that. We well, and we can read some lots of sla- and we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too because right. we're, we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but, but again, our babies aren't getting that privilege, and with, and with that, they're gonna lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled digital-based world right. because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. Talk these, with these the, smartphones have made, made us dumb. Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages 12 up and up here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM, Chapel Hill, and Carborough, uh, uh, North Carolina. And we'll get to the, the book series and info there. Um, really sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something. But again, um, the concern I have is that even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and I mean... You can get into if it's safe or not. That's a whole different discussion for another day. Um, but the fact is that, you know, it, kids, even before the virus, and I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time, um, it, it, They work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do. And it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids like, okay, if you, you do this, you can play this, or you can go outside. And they push and they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them, no, take your time. Because a lot of teachers say, take your time, read the, read the questions, you know, when you're taking the test. And it seems like the ki- these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the the work, and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than mm-hmm. consumption and understanding and comprehending it. You 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 buy mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that, that's the fear. And, 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 and matter of fact, you said it 
eloquently, but you basically repeated what I was saying and what I said. When, these, when our babies get a certain age, they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known. It's almost like putting a, you know, you know they put the uh, blinds on horses, run that straight, run a straight line. They won't know how to do anything else. But oh, it's not, it's not set in stone this way. They won't be able to do it. And that's where too many of our child, children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going to, that, and that's a criminal act, if you ask me. It's a criminal act. It's written because, I, and, and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world, because you'll say, oh, no, he got a so-and-so on his test. But, yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press because you're trying to get that funding because the state mandated so-and-so and so-and-so, which the state has no, they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level. None. Because if they did, or if their children was in the belly of the beast, they wouldn't have that kind of they wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And just to interrupt too, if they if our kids aren't learning, again, post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, they're ready to mm-hmm. put them ready to put them on meds. You know, Ritalin and whatever, oh it's whatever, man. Um, and, 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 and bro, in LA, I was, I believe it or not, pre-COVID. As a matter of fact, you, we've had discussion about my book before COVID. Pre-COVID, well, I started my curriculum two years ago. I mean, like getting it in stone. So I, I so I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years if we're not careful that we're gonna have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this. For about two years now. Now it's probably going to be closer than that because we're going to lose two and a half years. Okay, this way. For every child I was already behind, tack on two more years. They don't go. They're not going to fail a kid. They're going to promote them socially. But think about the average tenth grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're going to be functioning on a sixth grade reading level. Or sixth grade, great sixth grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school and, and graduate to go to college, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna be a, very, a real challenge. So, real, real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have, you know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward? And please do uh, let people know how they can get my friend, my hero, talk about the book and, and where they can find it. Sure. Well, I, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my, my website is called the. Hero Book Series, right? TheHeroBookSeries.com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschool and help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum uh, it has a study a study guide which you have to write, read, uh, do some uh, uh, research and learn how to do words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it, it, it was the same thing would happen in the school. Also have a teacher's edition to where you have the answers. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers to the sentences. You have answers to the multiple choice. You have, the, you have all the answers. I even have a pretest. So you can say, here, Johnny, take this and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment. And I have answers for that as well. So you have a student success guide, you have a teacher's edition, and you have a unit assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest, put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. I, my book is on tape now. It's coming out in about a month. 
I, I even have ebooks, which okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people. I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of and go on YouTube and research. Touch uh, how the effects are of touching a book. Google that. T- touch it. Touching a book. Wow. How you start that your knowledge starts to your your knowledge starts LA with just touching the book. It's powerful. I I, I just saw that I just saw something like that the other day. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because you know cause, you know I give you an example. Let me let me say something really quick. I'm gonna show you time. In the in the in the Bible. I'm I'm sorry. In, in church, people have told me. I'm not, I remember old ministers were telling me. I would say, well, Elder So and So, what do I learn? What do I read in the Bible? What should, what should I do? They, they, you know they would tell me. Say a prayer. Put your hand on top of the Bible and just open it. Meaning I heard that meaning, before. You'll find it. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, LA, LA, You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. You know where going there was something powerful about putting your mind right with it coming becoming one with the story that you're about to read and then opening the book deep with that's deep and, and so we keep giving these books these, 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 these digital books and everything you ain't helping these kids put a book in your hand put a physical book the five senses are, are given to us for a reason that's and if right. you dummy us out with that we ain't gonna have them buddy we're gonna be ro- people are gonna be robots that's right it's not gonna work for us yeah it's not, and, not gonna work for us bro and the learning is is robotic at this point because of that come on man yeah you're right come you're on, absolutely man. Come right on, man. Well, we, we, we can't afford that, bro. We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh my God! You, you, <sighs> being, you, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoov, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk too, with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some you. more about this. Okay. My pleasure, my brother. Take Be care, safe, man. All right, man.
Dazzafon presents talk radio like you've never heard it before on the Bathroom News Radio Network. We go live every Tuesday and Wednesday on this network, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to thebachelornews.airtime.pro. We are on the cutting edge and we are ahead of the curve on what is happening while the media tries to catch up. We talk issues from right to left. Once a month, we have Ladies' Night, where we talk relationship in the 21st century and nothing is off limits or taboo. Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Dr. Larry Fidoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com.
Bachelor. This is Kevin Bachelor. Are you listening to the Bachelor Pad Show with my dad, Ellie Bachelor, on the Bachelor Pad Radio Network? Welcome back to the show. I'm going to go to Gerald Hoover. Uh, Gerald Hoover is a best-selling author and uh, uh, certainly uh, does a, a phenomenal job. His My Hero series, and we're going to talk about that. But uh, who I wanted to touch base with you and ask you, in this COVID-19, there's two things going on. We'll start with the education side. As you're a professor, you're an author uh, of those series. You talk about um, not only bullying and mentoring, but education. I mean, being able to spell, being able to write a check i mean even if you don't write checks to learn how to to write signature things of that nature the basic things you know kids don't even know their home keys remember when we were kids we had the type mm-hmm. we knew the home key and all that but right now mm-hmm. in this this COVID 19 and we're short on time so i want you to really get into it what are the pluses and minuses on online schooling I, in the beginning my kids were like you know what yeah this is cool we get to do it but now they're getting bored and they want to be around their friends so socially it's different but from an education learning standpoint, especially with black and brown uh, kids who are uh, not only uh, disadvantaged in some cases in neighborhoods, the books and all of those things. What's the pluses and minuses of learning online? Well, I'm going to go with more of the 
Well, I, it ain't that many pluses to me. Uh, um, I think it's more of the pluses that there's something happening as opposed to just being shut down and there's nothing happening at all. So at least there's something tangible that's being used. You know what I mean? Um, can it work? Yeah, I mean, it can. But I, but like you just mentioned, that social, uh, if it, the, the social part of it is part of the, 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 uh, the dynamic of being able to know how to get along with, with your teammates. Uh, um, uh, I call them teammates with classmates. Uh, knowing how to function as opposed to everything being robotic pressing a button and and that's the one thing I fear LA is that with my with my book I have a curriculum and my curriculum is a full charge curriculum where there's a lot of writing involved and that's by design because you know studies show that your memory is enhanced by writing things down also you use a certain part of the brain when you're writing as opposed to just touching a button a button you use a certain part of the brain when you're reading, as opposed to just things being sent to you digitally. And I think that's the where that's where that's, we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, the plus is that we're doing something, you know, so it's better nothing. But the the, the minuses are a lot. It's, it's a, and like you said, the, the, your, your your young men are getting bored. Um, it's a lot. And then what happens is the kids are so inundated with these video games. You know, everything is digitized, you know what I mean? So they could be playing Fortnite for four or five hours. Now, all of a sudden, you're slowing the pace. Now you're trying to tell them to teach. Now you're trying to tell them to learn that way. It's a lot. So so they have to reprogram themselves on even how to learn as opposed to being away from the computer, you know, instead of being away from the computer and being instructed by a teacher or some sort in the front, in front of them, where she's able to, she, he or she's able to do things live, you know, and in person, so to speak, and sort of uh, have the um, option of learning things on the fly as well, doing things on the fly. You really can't do things too much like that when you're online. You have to, you know, you have to kind of robot yourself a little bit as well. So, but again, pluses is that they're doing something, minuses are a lot. And, and what I fear is that our children won't get the benefit of really being promoted in a proper manner, meaning earning the promotion. Because right now, you really can't fail a kid. I mean, you can't. I mean, how can you? You know, I mean, how do you fail a kid that that uh, parents may be suffering from COVID. And, you know what I mean, they and, and them, themselves might have had it. And, who that's that's a really uh, great point because uh, if you have a marginal kid, a kid that's been struggling, um, it, it, it's probably not doing a great service for that child if you pass them because of the situation and the climate we are in. And even before mm-hmm. this, speak to, because I think we had this conversation before about uh, using – you know, I, I'm, I have a real issue with kids using calculators for math. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and not mm-hmm. counting, not writing things out. Like you said, I tell my kids all the time, write it mm-hmm. down, take notes. I, they can go into my studio, my, my, my office, and see nothing but notes. And I try to tell them, not only mm-hmm. take good notes, but make sure you have organized notes. So when you come back to it, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You put your name, date, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and some mm-hmm. I, I see some of the kids that don't do that, but I get I have a real issue when they use sort of these electronic things or things mm-hmm. that take away from counting and reading and all of these things, mm-hmm. audio and, and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna give you an analogy because I, I know you'll, you'll catch it. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a saying. I'm gonna give you an analogy. You know that that was saying if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So we so we understand that part. 
But now, picture a person that's a couch potato, straight up couch potato, remote in his hand and beer in the other hand, eating chips, doing this for years, watching TV, you know, the shape got different, what have you. Then you say, okay, I want you to get in shape, the best shape of your life within three weeks. But tonight we're going to start off with you running five miles. That person wouldn't. That person wouldn't walk good four blocks. I mean, five blocks really good. Without him, like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. And that's the same thing that's happening with our babies' brains because they're not using that part of the brain like you just mentioned. The all you're doing is pressing the button. You're not trying to figure things out in your head. You know what I mean? So you're not you're not exercising that part of the brain. And we know the brain is an organ, but it acts as a muscle. You might as well call it a muscle because it acts just like a muscle. But if you don't use certain things to critically think, uh, conceptualize things, figure things out in your head, ponder over stuff, if you don't use that kind of that part of the brain, when it's time to use it, you can, please I mean, think of how many people. I guarantee you, at your audience, if you ask them, if you have read a book, enough, if you have, if you ask them if they have read a book or a long article in a long time, and they if they're gonna do it before they go to sleep, and say read the article, I guarantee you they fall asleep before they do it. Because that brain ain't ain't being used, so now you're gonna tell me read all this, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? At, within a certain period of time, that brain is over, it's, it's, it gets overloaded, and then all of a sudden it starts to shut down because you have to build it, you have to build it back up. And so this is what's happening in LA with too many with too many of our children because they're so used to pressing buttons, pressing buttons, pressing buttons from video games to learning that when you tell them to do certain things, either they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or they don't know how to do it. So guess what? It's not done. And my fear, I mean, I'm saying as I'm saying as a my, my my son is 29 years old, so I'm not, I'm I'm not a concerned parent for him, but I'm concerned parent for others. Because as an educator, every child that comes into your classroom or any class, any 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 of me when I go to schools, those children become my children, and I say it openly. I'm like for for the for the time being, I'm here. You belong to me, That's right. and I treat them as they're my children. And so my fear is that. Because they took penmanship out of schools, you know, so you write, these kids don't know how to write cursively, nor can they read it. So, so I, I use the word script. They, not, not only can they not read the script, they can't, I mean, they can't write it. So they can't read it. So now you're telling the 18-year-old, 19-year-old, go register to do this, sign this application, go do this, and they say sign your name. He's writing in print. He's or she writing in print. And to be or not, the way they write. They're not even writing online. I mean, in other words, you, you tell the kid to write in print on the line, they're writing in between the line. I mean, they're, writing, I mean, they, they're putting their name, like, uh, they're writing across the line because they don't have a concept of writing, bro. That is, like, scary. Yeah. And that's happening worse for our black and brown babies than it is for other other children because other children, they, they the ones that have the means to it, they're being taught how to write in script. Sure. So now, so education system, it seems, they seem to have... Put that on the parents, which is not fair. Not no no no. When I say fair, because that's a basic requirement. Writing, you know what I mean. That that should, that should be something that should be uh, uh, cataloged in schools on, 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 and 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 should be progressed in school because L.A. That's how we learn. You know what I mean. Our time tables, we did that in school. Right. Our, our writing, our penmanship. You know, writing between the lines, our tracing. 
I'm le- you know what I mean? We did that. We did that in school because although, it was part of our curriculum. Although I write like a doctor without the money, but I mean, sign. Like and, and, a no, hey, 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 me too. <laughs> and, and here's the funny thing: me too, and I'm ambidextrous with it. I can write with both hands, left hand, right hand. I can do both, and I can write equally sloppy. So we're in the same boat. Yeah. I get that, but at the end of the day, my friend, we can read that, we, well, and we can read some lots of sla- and we can read some lots of sloppy handwriting too, because right. we're, we're accustomed to doing it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but, but again, our babies aren't getting that privilege, and with, and with that, they're gonna lose so much in this fake, illusion-filled digital-based world right. because it's, it's really an illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion, bro. It's yeah. an illusion. Talk these, with these the, smartphones have made made us dumb. Talking with uh, Gerald Hoover, best-selling author of My Friend, My Hero, a book targeting young black and brown boys ages twelve up. And up here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM Chapel Hill in Carboro, uh, uh, North Carolina, and we'll get to the the book series and info there. Um, really, sort of the final uh, phase, and I know you said there's the positives because they're doing something, but again, um, the concern I have is that even before the virus, even before they had to go online, and some are going back to school in certain places, and I mean. You can get into if it's safe or not. That's a whole different discussion for another day. Um, but the fact is that, you know, it, kids, even before the virus, and I, and I have to, again, I challenge mine all the time, um, it, it, They work is not, it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily fun for us, but, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we had to do that, and we knew at the end of the day it was going to make us better. Even sometimes we mm-hmm. didn't feel like going to school. I tried to play hooky. My mother found out all the time, but I had to do what I had mm-hmm. to do. And it didn't seem mm-hmm. as forced on us as it is with kids. Kids are like, okay, if you, you do this, you can play this, or you can go outside. And they push and they zooming through it. But at the same time, you want to tell them, no, take your time. Because a lot of teachers say, take your time, read the, read the questions, you know, when you're taking the test. And it seems like these kids, our kids, are trying to zoom through a lot of the the work, and they don't seem to get it. It's more robotic than mm-hmm. consumption and understanding and comprehending it. You 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 buy mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that, that's the fear. And, and, and matter of fact, you said it eloquently, but you basically repeated what I was saying and what I said. When these when our babies get a certain age, they're not going to be able to function other than doing what they've known. It's almost like putting a you know you know they put the uh, blinds on horses. Run that straight, run a straight line. They won't know how to do anything else. But oh, it's not, it's not set in stone this way. They won't be able to do it. And that's where too many of our child, children are going to fail. That's where they're going to fail because they won't have options on how to do things any other way. And that's going, that, and that's a criminal act, if you ask me. It's a criminal act. It's written because, I, and, and that's why I said fake, illusional, filled world. Because you say, oh no, he got a so and so on his test. But yeah, he was pressing a button that you helped him press. Because you're trying to get that funding because the state mandated so-and-so, so-and-so, which the state has no, they have no clue what's going on on the ground. They're a bunch of bean counters and doing whatever they're doing. They have no clue or concept of what is done on the educational level. None. Because if they did, or if their children was in the belly of the beast, they wouldn't have that kind of, they wouldn't have that kind of outlook. And just to interrupt, too, if, they, if our kids aren't learning, again, Post uh, pre and post COVID nineteen, they're ready to mm-hmm. put them ready to put them on meds, you know, Ritalin and whatever, oh it, it's whatever. Man, um, and, 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 and bro, 
in L.A., I was, I believe it or not, pre-COVID. As a matter of fact, you, we've had discussion about my book before COVID. Pre-COVID, well, I started my curriculum two years ago. I mean, like getting it in stone. So, I, I, so I'm, I'm well ahead of the COVID part. I was yelling and screaming about in 25 years, if we're not careful, that we're going to have an educational apocalypse. I was saying this for about two years now. Now it's probably going to be closer than that because we're going to lose two and a half years. Okay, this way, for every child I was already behind, tack on two more years. They don't go. They're not going to fail a kid. They're going to promote them socially. But think about the average 10th grader that's ready for college, getting ready for college in two years. They're going to be functioning on a sixth-grade reading level or sixth-grade sixth-grade work level. So, so that so, means when they graduate high school and graduate to go to college, they're gonna, they're gonna, it's going to be a real, a real challenge. So real, real quick, because we're running out of time, um, what would be some of the solutions you have, you know, right now with COVID and, and moving forward? And please do uh, let people know how they can get my friend, my hero, talk about the book and, and where they can find it. Sure. Well, I, I'll, I'll do that first because it's fresh in my head. Uh, my, my website is called The Hero Book Series. Right, the Hero Book Series dot com. Um, for those that are educators or they want to uh, do some homeschool and help, help them enhance, you can order my book, and I will even let you know how to get the curriculum to go with it. Now, the curriculum uh, it has a study a study guide which you have to write, read, uh, do some uh, uh, research and learn how to do words, how to put words together, context clues. I mean, it's, it's, it was the same thing would happen in the school. Also, have a teacher's edition. The way you have to answer. So for you parents that have young children, okay, Johnny, do this, do this, do this. You as a parent, whether you've been to school lately or not, it's okay. You have the teacher's guide. You have the answers to the sentences. You have answers to the multiple choice that you have. The you have all the answers. I even have a pretest, so you can say, here, Johnny, take this and let me see how you can do with that. Then I have what's called a unit assessment, and I have answers for that as well. So you have a. Student success guide. You have a teacher's edition, and you have a unit assessment. So you have all those, and you're good. What I would suggest: put a physical book in your child's hand. E-learning is fine. I my book is on tape now. It's coming out in about a month. I, I even have e-books, which okay, I, I'm not really for them, but I know people, I don't want to read it like that. That's fine. But put a physical book in your hand. The five senses that we're blessed with are given to us for a reason. Putting a physical book in your hand speaks volumes to the mental, soul, mind, and body. There's a lot of – and go on YouTube and research touch on how the effects are of touching a book. Google that. Touch it, touching a book. Wow. How you start – your knowledge starts to your, – your knowledge starts, L.A., with just touching the book. It's powerful. I, 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 just, saw that, I just saw something like that the other day. And it's funny because I've been thinking about it. Because, you, know, you know, I'll give you an example. Let me, let me say this really quick. I'll let you show it on time. In the, in the, in the Bible, I'm, I'm sorry, in, in church, people have told me – I remember old ministers were telling me, I would say, well, Elder so-and-so, what, what do I read in the Bible? What should, how, what should I do? They, they, you know, they would tell me, say a prayer, put your hand on top of the Bible, and just open it. Meaning – I heard meaning that before. You'll find it, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Ella, Ella, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. There was something powerful about putting your mind right with it, coming, becoming one 
young with the story that you're about to read and then opening the book deep with that. That's deep. And, and so we keep giving these books, these, 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 these digital books and everything. You ain't helping these kids. Put a book in your hand. Put a physical book. The five senses are, are given to us for a reason. That's and if right. you dummy us out with that, we ain't going to have them, buddy. We're gonna be ro- people are going to be robots. That's right. It's not going to work for us. Yeah. It's not, not going to work for us, bro. And the learning is, is robotic at this point because of that. Come on, man. Yeah. You're right. Come you're on, absolutely man. Come right. on, man. Yeah. Well, we, we, we're gonna, we can't afford that, bro. We can't. We can't. And you talk about apocalypse. Oh, my God. You, you, <sighs> being, you, you get your Negro Domus points because you have been talking about this for quite some time. So uh, I know that for a fact. Hoove, I love you, man. Appreciate you. Be safe. Uh, I'll talk too, with you very, very soon. We'll get you on next week and talk some you. more about this, okay? My pleasure, my brother. Take Be care. Safe, man. All right, man. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. Absolutely. So I wanted to touch on 
some of the games that we talked about last week and before we kind of get into um, the schedule in college football on uh, next week. Um, but, you know, Notre Dame gets the win. Georgia gets pounded. Uh, assess those, both those games there. Yeah, so um, as far as with Notre Dame, you know, they, they had a hard-fought game. You know, without them, without Clemson having uh, Justin Lawrence, I, I figured it was going to be tough. And, um, you know, Notre Dame got an early Christmas gift, I think, with this one. Now, they did have to fight to get this win, but I, I was expecting them to get it because not having, you know, your star your star quarterback as far as Clemson, you know, this is kind of a good opportunity. And uh, Notre Dame pulled it out. You know, this is their first win uh, under Brian Kelly against a top-five team. So it's it's however long Brian Kelly's been there. Um, Georgia, Georgia surprised me. Uh, I was expecting more out of Georgia. I think though this shows that uh, their quarterback play is not up to snuff. They don't have, I don't, they don't have the talent like what they've had. And obviously we talked about Justin Fields uh, last week. That really that's really hurt. And they don't have good quarterback play. And Florida looks legit this year. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Georgia, uh, Florida is going to do the rest of the season. You know, um, I I do want to go back to, though, the um, Notre Dame game because, listen, that kid, the freshman from Clemson, wasn't the issue. Their defense is the issue. They they just can't stop anybody. And, you know, you kind of see in college football now outside of maybe Georgia, but, of course, they can't score. And most of these teams just – it's just, you know – Score, score, score. Even Alabama could probably score in the NFL with that team, you know. But they can't stop anybody, you know. So, so I, I would, I would say, not to say that you, you, you blame the freshman, but I think that he played well enough to win. Uh, you know, down the stretch, they, they schemed a little better in the overtime. He got a little starstruck there, um, you know, on that last drive. He got sacked a couple of times, but he played well, and he played well bringing them back against lowly Boston College. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. You're right. I think the yeah, the Clemson defense is obviously not the same as, as what they uh, what they've been in past years, uh, going into basically a shootout, and it went into overtime. So yeah, uh, that, that defense got you have some some questions to answer. Yeah, I, I, it, it's it's going to be interesting with 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 that defense moving forward. And you see that they, I think you called it last week that even with a uh, a Clemson loss, and of course it was a close Clemson loss, that they would still be in that top four. Um, and it's funny, though, because you know, they, they're using a, a, a lot of the voters are saying, well, you know, they didn't have uh, their star quarterback, so we'll give them a pass. How about they just barely lost to a top team, top five team, and they get the credit. Nevertheless, uh, you know, these teams can meet in the, the ACC championship. I think it'll be a totally different um, uh, story. But, but Georgia's – I mean, Kirby Smart, I've been saying to, to Georgia fans and SEC fans that he's not the guy that's going to win a national championship. First of all, again, the, just, the, the Justin Fields thing is one thing. He just I just don't trust him to make the smart decisions even when they have a good quarterback. 
in, in, in tough situations. What do you think of Kirby Smart? Yeah, he's one of those Urban Meyer disciples, and I think you know a lot of people say if you're in if you're in a good coaching tree, that it should it should uh, it should transfer, and it, it doesn't always do that. And Georgia's always been the, the stepchild in the SEC, you know, to Alabama. Alabama's going to be king until someone knocks all of Alabama off. And Georgia's had multiple opportunities, and they haven't been able to do it. And yeah, they're. I mean, they're like, it's, that's running back you. Um, I mean, they always have your running backs. But when it comes to um, the quarterback play and the defense, it, it can be so-so. And uh, that, that's, that's Kirby Smart. So that, that's, that's his problem, and that's something that he has to fix. But I agree. I don't think they're going to get to a national championship anytime soon because they, they can't match up, you know, with the teams in their conference, let alone um, Clemson or let alone other teams outside. Yeah, it's it's it's. I just think that, you know, when you look at Georgia, you they just always as long as Alabama's there, you know, they could be dominated on one side and then uh, uh, fall short. Ohio State continues to play well. Um, you know, the the speed of this team is is really really good on both sides of the ball, but they, it, it's all about Justin Fields. Uh, not only uh, for a shot at winning the national championship, but also the Heisman. Do, do, do they? Do you buy into that? That they, they sink or swim on his arm and his legs, of course. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's a major part of, of what they're going to do this year. And yeah, without what well, you can take him off of that team, they're they're uh, they're not any good. I mean, they'll, they'll maybe win. Um, you know, half of their games. But, yeah, it definitely rides on that end. And I would say the defense, too. That's, that's going to be a, a major part, you know, this, this entire season. Talk with Ben Sutter, of course, here on the Bastion News Radio Show, the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Two teams I wanted to mention that you get your Negro Domus points on. Number one is BYU. You call it that they can get it done. Uh, against probably, I don't know what their schedule is, but I don't think their schedule gets much tougher after um, Boise State. But uh, they stay undefeated. And then when you look at a team uh, like Liberty, once again, you get the credit. You said you wouldn't be surprised they go into Blacksburg and get it done, and surely they did. Uh, are these teams both ranked at eight and uh and 22 respectively in, in the right position, especially Liberty. I mean, that's a big that's a big win for that program. Virginia Tech is not Virginia Tech, but they're still an ACC team playing ACC in competition. So, I mean, that's a huge win on the road for them. Yeah, that's a major win, and they're they're seven and zero right now, which that that's that's huge. I mean, they beat everybody on their schedule, and then they have um, what the the probably the toughest game, it would be the last game of the season, Coastal Carolina, which is also undefeated. So this is, right. this is a big win for Liberty, and uh, I got I got much love and respect for them. I think that just shows that there's teams outside of the Power Five that can still run uh, with the big boys. You look at BYU, they are 8-0. Uh, they're now ranked at 8, so I got to give them their props. Um, and all they have is, is San Diego State, the last game of the season, which is probably the 
uh, their last toughest game, and then they play the North Alabama Lions, uh, whoever that is. So they're probably going to win the table, and they'll, they'll go <laughs> they'll go ten and zero, and um, we'll see if they get it. They get into that 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 top four, which I don't know. I think it, it's all going to depend on what the other Power Five teams do, and then if there's one spot left, you know, BYU may grab it. Yeah, BYU um, uh, could grab it, and and you're right, Coastal Carolina maybe not as surprising because they've kind of. They, you know, they played with the App States and stuff, and of course the App Appalachian State, you know, maybe mid-major, but they played with those. So, I mean, both both uh, stories, Coastal Carolina and uh, Liberty, being uh, a great stories for college football. Uh, the the Pac-12, Johnny come lately, you know, USC wins. Uh, I think Oregon won their games, and they're they're jumping them in. How do you really, if you were making this top twenty-five? And the SEC started at one point. Oh, by the way, the Big Ten said, we're going to play. Here they come. And you get, you know, the Pac-12 here, and, and, and now you get all these, these schools here. How do you even rank an Oregon and the USC in the top 25 after one game? Yeah. Um, personally, I wouldn't do it at all. They're only playing six games this year. They they at first they said they weren't going to play at all, so I don't I don't even it, they're just clogging up you know spots at this point. Um, if you go six and zero, oh, that to me you you got to at least I would say at least play eight games to be considered in you know in a top spot or even in the top twenty five at all. So to me it's 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 kind of disrespectful to the other teams that have been playing, and USC of the world just comes out of nowhere and they get ranked. And uh, some other teams just come out of, you know, nowhere. Oregon just comes out and they get ranked. I mean, to me, that that's that's not fair to the other teams because they've been playing longer. And say Oregon wins all of their games, they could possibly move up um, into at least the top five, and that doesn't even make any sense. So I, I think they they need to they they should have looked at that a little bit closer. But it's it's a pandemic, you know. It's it's. Unheard of times right now. Yeah, I I, it's, I agree with you. You know, if you you don't get to jump in because you're a Power Five school, um, and, but you only play one game, and then there's schools that have been playing the Oklahoma State and the Iowa State, and those schools have played already um, in the Big Twelve, and you got you know the, the Southeastern Conference, of course. Uh, you know, even Louisiana Lafayette is in the top 25, um, and they're at 25. But here comes, you know, uh, USC and Oregon jumping in to the fray. I don't think that's right. Uh, speaking of some teams that I would say you think would be a sleeper team, give me two. I mean, I could think of Florida may not be a sleeper team. Uh, because they're Florida and, you know, they're they've coming off a great win and they're pounding guys and stuff like that. But nobody's talking about them in terms of maybe uh, getting to a, a national championship game. Uh, the U, still not the U, is, like you said, a half C or something like that or whatever. Um, but they're at nine. They, you know, they, they're playing pretty good football as well. So who would be a team or two as uh, you would deem as being a sleeper? 
Uh, one I would say is Cincinnati. Cincinnati is quietly six and zero, and they're seventh. And all most of the other teams ahead of them all have one loss. So if Cincinnati, you know, somehow runs the table, based on what it looks like right now, they would be that fourth team. So that's one team I would give, you know, give some props to because they're just, just quietly winning games, and the rest of their schedule does not look that difficult. So. You know, that's that's a huge possibility. That would be one team, I would say. The other team uh, I would go with, which we, we mentioned already, uh, Coastal Carolina, which they're 15th. And this is kind of the thing you run into, you know, if teams win all their games, what's the strength of schedule? So all those kind of questions are going to be coming up. But they have a big-time matchup at the end of the season, which they'll be playing Liberty. So who knows how that could go, where they could be, you know, at the at the at that point in time in the season. But that's two teams I would say is Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina, which are, you know, quietly, you know, dominating right now against the teams they're playing against. Yeah, you know, Iowa State uh the last couple of years have had some nice wins too. Um and wow, who would have thought on November twelfth, the time of this broadcast, that Indiana would be undefeated, albeit three games <laughs> and tenth ranked. In the top 25, I mean, really. Right, right. That's something else. Texas A&M, Texas A&M won, won a little love, too. And, of course, uh, uh, their Aggie fans want that, uh, too. Um, you know, Alabama, obviously, uh, is the, the at least I would say, the offensive cream of the crop. What do you do to slow them down? Man, that's that's the million dollar question. Um, it, I mean, number one, you got to try to stop the running game, but that's that's going to be difficult to do. But I think the biggest thing I'm not I'm not really the biggest fan of Mac Jones, uh, and and a lot of times these Alabama quarterbacks don't necessarily pan out when it comes to you know the the pros. So yeah. I would say you know you, you got to be you got to rest the quarterback, and, and even though you're going to be going up against you know, probably five linemen that are going to go into the NFL draft. But I would say try to get to Mac Jones, number one. Uh, number two, you got to be smart on offense because, you know, Alabama is a is a tough defensive team. They're, they have always been. Uh, but those, those are the, really the only thing, two things I could say. You got to play an absolute perfect game. You can't, you know, give them too many opportunities and you can't, uh, you can't turn the ball over because they take advantage of every single, you know, game, every single minute and, and opportunity. If you're just joining us, of course, we're talking with Ben Sutter, the, uh, the third BS3 radio sports uh, owner and host here on the Bastion News Radio Show and the Bastion News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill. All right, so who would be the toughest, not to say we're picking opponents in the championship game, but who would be their toughest out? Who would give Alabama the, the toughest time? Most people say Clemson because they've seen them, they know them, they they can score, you know, toe to toe with them, so to speak. Although Alabama put them sixty points and all that crazy stuff, but who would you say would give Alabama their their toughest shot? I would say, yeah, I would I would say Clemson again. Um, a close second, I would say Florida because because by the way, Florida's playing right now, they could possibly. You know, maybe give Alabama uh, some fits, and they, those two could be in SEC championship game. So, 
I would say I would say Clemson is probably the closest because I mean running game, quarterback. Obviously, we just talked about the defense, but everybody's scoring points. So I would say Clemson, and then I would say a close second, uh, Florida this year. Florida could could possibly get an upset. Yeah, so I, I just when I look at that when when I ask that question, you kind of, you got to look at guys who could just really really just light it up. Just really light it up. Programs, I should say, that could just really light it up. But it'll it'll be interesting to see um, what happens in terms of uh, if they get that far. All right, let's look at the some of these games. Um, obviously, um, East Carolina at Cincinnati. I don't think you're picking Cincinnati to to have a a, a, a hiccup here. They're not overlooking. East Carolina, that there at home is prime time. You got Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna go with Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's a, you know, a bigger program. Uh, they're they're playing, I think, uh, obviously better competition. Yeah, East uh, East Carolina has, I think, they have no chance. Miami, Vitek again, um, home at Blacksburg again. Did this. I keep the last couple of years with Miami, you know, hurricane fans and, and fans alike want to see them arrive again. And we keep getting these games where, okay, this is the signature game and they lose or they struggle. Um, it, it, they beat Virginia tech. Is it a big deal at all in Blacksburg? No, no, that's not a big deal at all. Uh, and And the crazy thing is ESPN has them favored. Uh, Virginia Tech favored in this game, but um, either way, I would I would say this is not a, a big win for Miami. The big win would have been Clemson. They, if they would have got that one, I think you would you could say, "Wow, uh, you know Miami has arrived." But for me, this should be a guaranteed win for Miami. Uh, they 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 shouldn't have any trouble with Virginia Tech. Let's look at some. Let's give me give me these are. Um... Don't fall asleep games. Uh, I'll give you the games. You can give me the winners. I'm going to give you four first. Indiana at Michigan State. Coastal at Troy. Uh, USC playing on their second game at Arizona. South Alabama on the road at number 25, Louisiana Lafayette. Any upsets here out of those four? Um, I would say no. I would say no. I think uh... – Indiana is going to continue on their run. Definitely Coastal Carolina. I'll definitely go with that one. I think that's going to be a game that they'll win. Uh, Louisiana definitely is going to be South Alabama. Now, the one thing I will say, we could see Arizona beat USC. I think that could be a possibility. Arizona, which is coached uh, by Kevin Sumlin, and their first game was canceled. So, I mean, really, they're just coming out, you know, fresh. I mean, I don't know how much tape you're going to have on Arizona because they haven't played any games, and this and it, I, I, I'll, I've never trusted USC since the Pete Carroll days. So anything could happen against USC. So I'm gonna yeah. ask you. I'm gonna take Arizona to upset. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, I can see that too. I can see that again for all the reasons you said. And this is only USC's second game. It's like they're preseason. Like they're just getting into the mix of things, and you got to get. Some kind of rhythm. You got to get your rotation down in terms of who's going to play and 
and backup and things of that nature. So you have it on paper, but things do happen. Uh, I, I assume you think Notre Dame will uh, roll over Boston College. No, no hiccups there on the road at BC. Yeah, yeah, no, no hiccups there. Especially off of this big win that they just had. Yeah, I think they they got more confidence now too. Final question. Uh, another program we've been talking about a lot over the last you and I, but I mean people have been talking about over the last couple of years. That's Michigan. Here comes Wisconsin again. Only one game. They had the COVID and all this other stuff. Michigan needs this in the worst kind of way. If they lose, does he resign or get fired after this game, or are they going to see him through the season? Or let's say if he, they get beat 45-7 to seven at home, is that like doomsday for him come Monday? Uh, I don't see them firing him before the season's over. Uh, I see them finishing it out, especially because I think if they if he if they somehow beat Ohio State, I could see them keeping him there because that is their major game of the year. And if he can't win that game, which he hasn't done, so to me that would be the last. If they lose forty five to seven, I think he's the uh, the hot seat is heating up even further. But this you're right. This is a must win game for Michigan. They're one and two in the Big Ten. They've lost back-to-back games. They cannot lose a third game. But I'm going to say Harbaugh will be there through the end of the season. Mm. That's that's a heck of a lot of pressure for them not to do something because you know how big time any fan is, and especially ones that are donating to, you know, that big stadium with all that money and everything else, but it'll be interesting. I think he's kind of checked out too, Ben. I really do. I think he he wants to. He doesn't want any part of this anymore. I think he wants to leave. I I don't think he's really been coaching with passion and heart. Uh, I think mine is on another job. Yeah, and I I see him going back to the NFL. You know, I think we talked about that last week. I just see kind of the the writing on the wall. It seems like. Yeah. Well, we, we shall see. Before you go, man, I know you do more than sports, so you can uh, highlight all of that, but how can people uh, reach out and, and follow you and, and find out what you got going on? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, bs3radio.com. That's the best way to find everything. Uh, also, I started uh, BS3 Coaching, which uh, I coach people uh, into podcasting, so if they want to improve their podcast or if they want to start one. And uh, so you can definitely you can find that on bs3radio.com as well. And that's pretty much what I have going on right now. That's a lot, man. And listen, I appreciate your insight. You are always on point. You're on point. You got, I told you got your Negro Domus points last, from last week. So <laughs> you'll be working on some more. <laughs> be working on some more <laughs> next week. I appreciate you, bro. Have a good weekend. All right, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Ben Sutter, always good to have him on uh, the third BS3 Radio Sports, bs3radiosports.com.
in the U and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Your mother-in-law just dropped in. It's dinner time, and she looks hungry. Time for a quick dinner. Think fast. Think eggs. Like an omelet with tomatoes and cheese. Quick, easy, delicious. So, she loves dinner, compliments your creativity, and finally admits you're not a shameless social climber who stole her baby boy away. All thanks to the incredible edible egg. For other quick dinner, lunch, and snack ideas, visit AEB.org. The Incredible Edible Egg. The American Egg Board. Airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. You can check it out there. And, of course, podcast is on uh, TuneIn and Spotify. Anywhere else you can find a podcast, you should hear or would hear uh, the Bachelor News radio show. Back to the phone. He is the owner of Anastas Media and play-by-play voice of uh, UMass Lowell Hoops. He is Nick Anastas, and Nick, is always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. How are you, L.A.? Thanks for having me. Good. Big win, uh, sort of a sigh of relief. They're not out of the dark, but, you know, people are laughing, and, you know, they beat the Jets, and everybody's beating the Jets. But, you know, the Patriots needed that as, a, I think, a franchise, let, let alone um, – you know, Cam, they really needed that in a big way. And they got it done. Um, it wasn't pretty, you know, but they de- did what I needed. they need to do. And I'm wondering if that will be some kind of a morale, it, which sounds kind of crazy from a Belichick team, a morale booster moving forward for them. Yeah, I think so. But it could be very short-lived with Baltimore coming to town Sunday. I mean, the whole narrative could be different come Monday morning if they don't play well. But you're right. To your point, they needed a win. They got a win. They didn't play well for three quarters. They found a way to get it done. They did not find a way to get it done in the end against Buffalo. So I think they took a a step forward in terms of closing the game. Um, But, I mean, that defense is, is really night and day different from what it was at this time a year ago. 
I mean, if you think a full calendar year ago, people were saying this is the best defense in the NFL, one of the greatest defenses of all time, uh, et cetera. And we know they didn't finish very strongly. And, you know, when, you, when you're minus three or four starters to begin the year and then you lose guys to injury and everything else, I mean, they've been soft up front, frankly, their front seven. Uh, still, I think, has, has been exposed as, as the weak point, uh, offense or defense. I think their run defense is it's, it's just not up to snub. And then without Stephon Gilmore, who hasn't played since week seven, they're now susceptible through the air as well. So, uh, to your point, yes, they needed a win. They got the win. I think Cam um, calmed a lot of people down by having a good performance, but that defense is still uh, a long ways away from where it needs to be before anybody feels comfortable around here. Yeah, you know, the the funny thing about this, old Nick, is that um, we would be talking about really the old Patriots, if you want to call it, and the current Patriots that just win the division. They, they, that's what they do. Win the division you're in, it's a guaranteed – You've been winning the division forever. So you still got Miami again. You got the, the Bills again and the Jets one more time. So that's if they pull those out three, you know, in this wild AFC, you know, all of a sudden they get past Baltimore. Even they lose to Baltimore, you know, they're right back in the thick of things. It, it may be a stretch to win the division, but, you know, it, I mean, Buffalo hasn't really – lit up the world with anything. I mean, they, they blew up a Seattle team who really has high school players playing on defense at this point, the way they, they give up so many points. So, I mean, it, realistic chances in your mind, maybe not so much maybe a stretch for the division, but if they can get those wins in a row, especially against their opponents in the, in the division, then they're looking at the playoffs again. I, I don't know. A lot, a lot has to go right. A lot has to go right. I know that seven teams in the conference now make it. We touched on that a little bit last week, but yeah, I mean they're not just trailing Buffalo; they're trailing Miami as well. Right. So, I, I mean, you're right. You take it one week at a time. You know, maybe they they um, find what they need to find on their home field as they've done in the past Sunday night, and they surprise the league. You know, let's say Cam does come out and play well. Belichick, you know, somehow outduels John Arbaugh on the other side and, and they find a way to win the game. Well, then I think you get my attention at four and five. But the way it's looking now, they're going to lose Sunday night and they're going to be at three and six. Nobody's talking playoffs in that kind of a scenario, I don't think, anyway. If, if they beat Baltimore, then, then maybe I reassess. I would reassess. But uh, I'm going to assume the, Ra- the Ravens are going to go in there and win. And I'm going to assume that on Monday they're 3-6. and six, And they're, they're going to need a lot to go right to get into the playoffs. Talking with Nick Anastas here on the Bassett News Radio Show on the Bassett News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Nick, it's funny you talked about the um, home advantage, playing at home. Uh, you know, the – not to say that they would have the uh, home field throughout the playoffs, but hypothetically, let's just say the Steelers were going to be that in the AFC, just to, for, for argument's sake. 
this is the worst year for that because there's no home field advantage. Like they, there's no fans unless all of a sudden they're going to let all these fans in. You know, like you said to your point way back last year before the season started. Um, I mean, earlier this year before the season started, you said I don't understand. There's no, it's not going to be the same. There's no fans in the in the in the stadium. You, you have them even with some other places. They're still pumping in, you know, all this this noise, so it's not really the same. So Steelers or, say, the Saints in the NFC, not going to be the same. What kind of dominance could you have? Kansas City, you know, Seattle, the 12th man. If you don't have the fans, you're sort of playing on a neutral ground, sort of like the bubble with the NBA and the NHL. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there is home field advantage anymore. I don't. And I think I – think I'm not sure if the postseason is going to prove that or not, but I think the goal right now is just get in. You know, get in, uh, especially when only one team is going to get a bye, right? The top seed gets a bye. I think I think that that still does have some value because you're going to get some rest at a key time. But the two seed no longer has a bye. And now, again, with home fans irrelevant, or, you know, some stadiums have allowed, what, 12,000, 13,000 fans a far cry from the seventy to 75,000 they're used to. Not enough to make a, a sizable difference. So I think this year we'll see seven teams on each side get in with six on each side in action that first week. And then I think the seeds really go out the window. I do, because there's no home field. So, you know, it's not going to be far-fetched in my mind for one of those lower-seeded teams to come in on the road and steal one. You know, I think that's going to happen more often than not. In the end, the cream will rise to the top, I think. I think the best teams will, you know, survive in advance. But to your point, to my point from last summer, home field no longer exists in this day and age right now in this climate. Could it be momentum, though, if you do have the top seed, you don't have to play. Everybody else has to play. And and you're a Tennessee-type this year, you go on a run, um, that that top seed plays one game and maybe gets some kind of momentum going into a second game. Uh, I, I guess, obviously, it would be a championship game. Um, could you see that scenario where the, the lower seed will knock off in the first round, you know, and those, those teams will win. But as they get closer, like you said, the cream will rise to the crop. It's hot. Yeah, you never know. You never know how teams handle the bye either. I mean, Baltimore was the one seed last year, and they came out flat after a week off. So coaches always have to guard against that for sure. But but under that scenario you just described where, let's say, a two or a three get taken out or both, you know, then all of a sudden the road becomes a little bit easier for that top seed. I could see something like that happening, absolutely. You know, I want to ask you about uh, a player in the NFC East and then the NFC East in a general conversation. The first thing is Carson Wentz. Listen, and I got into it with Orlando. He's a Philly guy, Philly native, Philly, Philly, Philly. And I don't – listen, if Donovan McNabb, whether it was racial or not, got booed, when they announced him coming out of Syracuse. 
and he he was under a microscope. He didn't win a Super Bowl, but he did get there. Carson went numbers are worse than his when he started. And my thing is, I understand this year they're going to give him a mulligan in the past because no offensive line and your tight ends out and all of this. I get that. But prior to that, the guy just, to me, doesn't, when I look at him and see him play, he can, he can make the throws. Well, a lot of guys can make the throws. He doesn't take care of the football. He makes he doesn't make smart decisions with the football. And it, I, Orlando, I was saying, like, he had four turnovers against the Cowboys. Now, Ben did too, but, he, you know, but we won. And, and it, it wasn't as disastrous looking, if, if you will. But I just don't see it with Carson. And, and I'm not saying dump him in the water and, and kick him to the curb, but I don't think he gets the scrutiny that he should. And they're 3-4-1 in a horrible division. And it's been like this with him. And people say, well, if he didn't get hurt, who would have known? Well, we don't know. Uh, he didn't play in the Super Bowl, and they still won the game. And the, the coaching hasn't changed. They've lost some coordinators. But the head coach that won the Super Bowl is the same head coach now. So where's the problem? Is Carlson Wentz um, overrated a little bit, or should we just – it's still a book to see with him? Because he turns the ball over to, uh, uh, to me and makes bad decisions too much, takes too many bad facts too. I don't think the leash is as long as it was for him. I think I think he's gotten a fair amount of scrutiny this season, both inside of Philadelphia and with the national media, more so than than last year. Um, you're right. I think people do tend some people tend to treat him still with kid gloves, and still tend to act like he was the one who won the Super Bowl. When obviously, as you just said, not only did he not play in that game, but his backup came in and threw for 500 yards or close to it. So. Uh, I, I think there was a little bit of an alarm actually late last year where he didn't play well to close the end of the year. Enough so that they go out in April in the draft and spend second-round capital on a backup quarterback. So that, that I think, is if not a red flag, it's at least a yellow flag going <laughs> into this year. And then, to your point, he's regressed. It seems like he's got happy feet. It seems like he's not as mobile. He's not as good on the run. He's not as good out of the pocket. Uh, you know, he still make can make all the throws. You know, he can hit all the receivers on, on the route tree. He's still big, physical. He's tall. I mean, he has those physical attributes. But, um, you know, to your point, he, he did not win them the Super Bowl. He's taken a step back this year. And they put a little bit of pressure on him, I think, by drafting Jalen Hurts in April. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens. If, if they win the division and, let's say, uh, you know, he performs well, at least he has a good game in the playoff game, maybe, maybe they don't win, but, but holds his own, um, that'll go a long way for him in the summer. But if they fall flat, they don't make the playoffs, he doesn't play well, he's going to be under more fire this summer. Good point. We're talking with Nick Anastas here on the Bastard News Radio Show. Nick, listen, you are, we're always going to have bad teams in all sports, but we're talking about the NFL. You know, the Falcons struggled blowing games. Uh, they've come back and played well. The Jets are god-awful, like the, the 
you know, uh, Alabama could probably beat them at this point. They're, they're so bad. Um, but more and more, it seems, in different seasons, we're having these conferences, or not conferences, but divisions where it's just the division is horrible. And the East, the NFC East was like this before. So this is like this is the second year in a row where they're, you know, eight and eight or whatever. They, you only, neither one, I don't think any of the teams are going to get close to eight wins and win this division this year. Is it time for the owners with the competition committee to just maybe examine and see what kind of interest is out there where you take the top eight teams or seven teams at this point uh, uh, and, and and go that way? I mean, it, it's just – I don't – it's not really fair. The, the Falcons would be in a, a game and a half or, or a game back of Philly. They're in last place in that division. And you got teams that maybe a team is not going to make the playoffs because they got to give the, the division win to the NFC least. What, what's your thoughts on that? I, I don't know. I'd be open to hearing it, but, but frankly, I'd, I'd probably in the end vote to keep it the same. Uh, I think it's probably about, uh, when you factor in regional rivalries, regional history, et cetera. But then, you know, if you want to put that aside, fine. I think there is some value to that, but, but you want to count that fine. Still, though, you have to understand that it's based around the schedules. The divisions are – your schedule is based around your divisional opponents. So a team could pile up seven wins and two losses, and you could argue, like, like, like typically the Patriots do, okay? Right. The Patriots sat on top of a weak AFC East team for 15 straight years. So, you know, you, you, you can't necessarily say, well, let's reward New England because they have 12 wins at the end of the year, even though their conference, you know, wasn't that good. I, I think at that point you punish other teams. Um, you know, for example, again, let's say a team goes out and wins the division. It's, it's a good division. They get in. Nobody has a problem with that. The team that usually the third team in that in a good division, let's say, goes nine and seven, doesn't get in, but another division winner at eight and eight gets in. It's still not comparing apples to apples because those two schedules were different. So if if the schedule is the same, then I would say okay. If everybody, all thirty-two teams have the same schedule, well then the same then the records would be comparable it would be okay to compare those records. But when the divisions and the schedules are set up so that one team has a drastically different schedule than another team, even in the same conference, I think then you have to, you have to merit the division winner. You have to reward the, the division winner under that kind of a, a circumstance. But if, let me ask you, though, if, 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 you know, when they're looking at playoffs and the playoff ties, teams score more points, um, a better record against a common opponents, and they're doing all these breakdowns and stuff. Why right. not use wins and losses as a, a, a real strength? Be, especially if, say, you know, uh, Tennessee beat Dallas, and then Philly lost to Dallas, and they and they lost to them twice or whatever. So then Tennessee, I'm just making up team. Tennessee doesn't get in because Philly's the division winner. But Tennessee beat the, the common opponents more than the Eagles. So if you're going to look at it, that, and then, and then the, the 
I think the ultimate tiebreaker would be like the wins loss. Like, okay, this team was horrible. They 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 gave up more points than they scored, and all those different negative things. And then you have a, a team that's you know played well, and they're you know 500 at least in their division. I mean, I just think it it uh, maybe I'm picking on the NFC East, and you I I definitely get your point because the opposite end is you know the Patriots have been, just been feasting on the the AFC East. So, but it, it, to me, it, it warrants some kind of conversation, at least, to see if they can come up with some type of scenario in that regard. Well, they tried to um, they they tried to factor in strength of schedule more so than they have in the past a couple of years ago when they prioritized right. under the tie-breaking scenario. The top tiebreaker was now not head-to-head, but the tiebreaker became strength of schedule. Mm. which I think can backfire on teams as well. Uh, for for instance, 2017, the Bills got in at the last second um, over the San Diego Chargers because of strength of schedule. Remember Andy yeah. Dalton, uh, Bills fans, uh, yeah. uh, started some kind of a campaign online to, to raise <laughs> money for Andy Dalton's foundation or something because Andy Dalton went out and won a meaningless game for Cincinnati but it mattered in the tiebreaker because it benefited the Bills with the strength of schedule. So anyway, long story short, that year the Bills got into the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. Well, a team that had beaten them, the Chargers, who were also 9-7, and seven, did not get in because of the strength of schedule change. So my point is, no matter what scenario we come up with, no matter what the schedule, no matter how many playoff teams, et cetera, there's always going to be some team that doesn't get in that feels like they should have gotten in. So we're going to have this kind of a conversation, I think, every year for the next 100 years, no matter what, um, because there's always going to be some team that that loses out because of the current tiebreaker slash playoff qualification scenario. I think the only ones that get it worse than the NFL, if, if that was the scenario and looking at all that stuff is college um, uh, college basketball. I mean, you know, it's always a, a, a team, a program that's like, wow. I mean, look at our record. Look at the conferences we play in. This is the best. And then you got six or seven teams, the programs that say, hey, you know, we deserve to be in the big dance and they don't get there. Um, final question for you, and I, I, I – didn't deliberately save Tampa for last, but I did remember. Um, and, again, it's only one game, so I'm not killing it. Um, but, I, listen, put pressure on this guy. He's 43. I'm not saying it was all his fault. The defense couldn't couldn't get real pressure on Drew Brees. They came in with a smart, smart game. And, and I don't know, Nick, if you remember before the season started. When we found out that Brady was going to Tampa, I said, what is this? I, I think I even texted you. I said, you got a, a guy who dinks and dunks with wide receivers who won't go down the field. And it, and Bruce Arians, another guy, told you it, at some point Bruce is going to be Bruce like he was in Pittsburgh with all his trick plays and doing stuff that's not our identity. He's trying to go down the field with play action with Brady 20 yards down the field because he's got the receivers. I thought it was never, and I still think they might do well. They do, so be it. I never thought that Brady dink and dunk with Mike Evans and, and Godfrey 
and um, I mean not Godfrey and um, uh, Chris Godwin. Yeah, God, Godwin, and now Antonio Brown, you know, banged up, uh, hurt, you know, Gronk. It's not a good formula. And it, again, it's one game. That, but the Saints played the game that the Bucks should have played offensively. Dink and dunk. Use all your your players. Slants and, and put the Eagles aside and win the game. But Bruce is going down the field. Tom's not comfortable in the pocket. You smack him in the mouth, and and those things happen. And that's a disaster. They 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 can't play like that and think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Not with that formation. Not with that that formula. I should say. I'm just wondering how big the smile was on your face on Sunday night. <laughs> uh, that's what I was thinking. I bet you LA is You're right, though. How, I don't understand the play action on, on drive number one when you haven't established the run to begin with and expect it's going to work. And that's what they tried doing. The first three drives, they all went three and out. Two of the three plays on each drive was a play-action pass. No run establishment, nothing. So, to your point, Brady doesn't have the arm for that, number one. Number two, if he's going to go deep, he's got to pick his spots. It's got to be set up. And they did not do a good job doing that on Sunday night. Uh, Three, it shows me that their defense got exposed pretty well as well. Yeah, You know, again, people have been blowing the trumpets, rolling out the red carpet. This defense is Super Bowl ready, et cetera. Way too inconsistent. We said that, you and I, in agreement going into this, into last week. And then they just got smashed uh, within the first 20, 25 minutes of the football game. So their defense, again, is not as good as a lot of people think. Brady, I think, really needs to be in a position to be successful. And they didn't, you know, and I'm not making excuses for Brady either. Uh, I think he still is smart enough pre-snap to make a difference. He still is quick enough on the release to dink and dunk effectively with a proper run game in place. And when Tampa does protect him, he's, he's okay. But all those things didn't happen. And they didn't happen early, and the game spiraled out of control. The defense got exposed, so... Uh, I'd imagine it's not a very fun week this week in Tampa for them as they try to right the ship. Um, you know, we'll see how big of a, a, a dark horse and X factor Antonio Brown becomes. Um, and obviously Gronk had been playing well. He had scored three touchdowns in a row uh, going into that disaster Sunday. So, so I don't think all hope is lost, but. Uh, they certainly need to take a step forward and practice and play better this week. Otherwise, uh, you know, th- th- there will be some legitimate alarm bells sounded. Yeah, and I think they got Carolina this week uh, on the road, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, and, and Brady, to, to his blame, is he's trying to force the ball to Antonio Brown. The guy, you got Mike Evans. You've been playing with him the whole time. And, and you're forcing the ball to a guy just coming on the field. And I, I thought that was a mis- mistake, too. And, again, I am not – I've been saying it. I'm not a Bruce Arians guy. I thought he he, he messed up our identity when he was there. Did, you know, all the trick plays and it all been all day, no running the football. He's doing the same thing here. No running the ball. Lee, Leonard Fournette, you got running backs galore. And then uh, Tampa doesn't – They. I don't know what's going on with Shaq. 
and that pass rush. They they can't rush the quarterback unless they run a scheme blitz or something like that. They can't get to the quarterback. Um, and and that's going right. to be an issue for him too. Go ahead. And, and, and on Shaq Barrett, uh, you know, I sung his praises a little bit last week because he had almost 20 sacks last year. But upon, upon closer expect, inspection, that may be the anomaly. In fact, it looks like it. When you take a look at his career numbers sack-wise, he's not even close to the 19-and-a-half he had last year, and he's in, on pace so far uh, to be, not again, way shy this year. So I, I don't think he's that year-in and year-out stud, edge rush, pass rusher, you know, top-tier defensive end. He's not. He had a good year last year. He's come back down to earth, I think, this year. And there's not a whole lot of help on the other side. Um, you know, Levante David is, is as solid as they come. Uh, they got that young kid, White, yeah. uh, at the second level is pretty good. Um, you know, Hargraves, we know. I mean, they got some names there, but, but they're not a unit. They're not a Super Bowl unit yet. I think they really need 11 uh, players to play cohesively defensively, and they're just not there yet. Yeah, they better learn to, to, to pass the defense because, like I said, and I'm always critical of, of the Steelers, uh, they remind me of them without the pass rushes a little bit, but if you block that front seven, you could throw the ball down the field on you can, um, and and that's what it shows. We'll see. Nick, as always, man, you be safe. You enjoy your weekend. Talk with you next week, my friend. Thank you. Sorry for the alarm. That's uh, my girlfriend's fault. Oh, see? Tell your girlfriend not during the Bachelor News radio show to set off any alarms. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's dinner night over here. That's what it sounds like. I got you. I got you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks again, man. All right, man. Nick Anastas, is, of course, uh, of Anastas Media here on the Bachelor News Radio Show. Remember, if you miss any part of our broadcast, go to our website, uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. T-H-E, the Bachelor, B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R, news.airtime.pro. Check us out. The show, the podcast, of, or the rebroadcast of the show is at 8 a.m., and 3 p.m. Eastern Time every single day of the week. So if you missed the live, you can go there. Uh, we also have lots of other great programming and great shows, music, and, matter of fact, love songs from 8 p.m. to midnight, Monday through Saturday. Enjoy. Talk with you very soon on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM, in Carborough and Chapel Hill, North Carolina.